1: Welcome to the second half of Ghost Chronicles Radio. I am Van Helsink. Yes, me, Van Helsink. And joining me is Vala Ventura. Vala, are you there?
2: I'm here. Hello. Good evening.
1: Yeah, so we're (laughs) getting bizarre tonight, aren't we, dear?
2: Sure. Sure. Yeah, I mean, pretty easy to do in our company. (laughs)
1: <laughs> you are you know, you're a fun person, otherwise I wouldn't ask you. Am to- I? <laughs> I'm I'm hoping on it anyways. Thank you. you, Thank know,
2: you. I, I, think I could so. be
1: wrong, but you never know.
2: I think I'm fun.
1: <laughs> but uh, for those who don't know, Vala Ventura is a author of many books. Uh, my favorites, of course, the... Where the hell are they? <laughs> uh, yeah, The Book of the Bizarre and Beyond Bizarre. I always want to get... Look at the titles, because I screw them up all the time. And actually, the true title is The Book of Bizarre, Freaky Facts and Strange Stories. And the other one is Beyond Bizarre, Frightening Facts and Blood-Curdling True Tales. And of course, she has others, including "Volumen Ventura's Paranormal Pala, Ghost Seances, and, true, no, and Tales of True Hauntings. See, I told you I screwed up. Oh yeah, but you're reading it right off the book, which is Yeah, fantastic. it doesn't matter. <laughs> what do you think my wife wouldn't let, let me read to my son when he was born? <laughs> <laughs> well I do not read at all. I just totally screwed up. My mind goes too fast. I just can't follow things. I think you
2: I think you did it more than did it justice. Plus my titles are all long and really alliterative and have really long subtitles.
1: Not like so. Ghost of Day and Ghost Chronicles.
2: Yeah, those are nice and solid. You get solid titles. Simple. Yeah. Like I me. love Ghost Today. I, I still look at Ghost Today regularly. Love that book.
1: You know what? I am thinking about doing another one of those.
2: Ghost Every Other Day?
1: Yes. No. <laughs> Twice a day. <laughs> Goes twice a day. Yeah. We've twice. Ghost on Viagra. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Ghosts upgraded. Um, that's great. I love that style. I think, you know, that's, we share that similarity. I think the book of the bazaar and beyond bazaar, both of those have, there's a similarity with the ghost today. They're little, like, digestible stories that you can kind of just dip in and out of. And yeah, like a, a good I, bathroom book. Exactly, exactly. That's probably why the Book of the Bazaar did so well the first time out. <laughs> lots and lots of little tidbits in there, but It
1: is. Um, I love yeah. it, I really do. And, well, that's uh, and great. Of course, I'm
2: happy to hear yeah. you're thinking of doing another one. I know you probably have a, another three hundred and sixty something stories easily.
1: Sure easily. Yeah, easily. Easily. And and I am so upset because uh I had oh, my book one of my books, which one is it? Oh, the Beyond Bazaar. Get water damaged, so I am totally bummed about that. And, oh, uh,
2: Ron, I'll send you a new copy. No problem.
1: Now yeah. you girl after my own heart. I might
2: even have a, a, a rare hardcover one around here.
1: Get out of here. So,
2: <laughs> offline, no, unless you want to tell the entire world your home address. offline
1: It's actually everywhere. It's already
2: out there. Okay, so everybody sent a cute little package, too. But um, yeah, I'll, I'll make sure you get another copy of that. You, you've always been so um, supportive so, of both so, of the books and everything. So it's the least yeah. I can do.
1: Yeah, we, we've put uh, Beyond Bizarre Little Tales in our newsletter, and, uh, and Valor uh, recorded several of them as well, which we have a couple of oh, to play, yeah. play oh. for us, you know, tonight, too. great. <laughs> right. yeah, Last from the past. Yeah, From totally. the Ghost of Eric. <laughs> the Ghost of Eric. Oh, always so kind. It's interesting story on Ghost of the Day. Originally, that book we were uh, um, we were what's the word commissioned to write the, a book on uh, um, haunted restaurants.
2: Oh, well, that's and it, specific and awesome.
1: Well, it, it was my idea. It was haunted restaurants, and uh, it was a cookbook too. <laughs>
2: oh my god! So I love like that. The, the oh, favorite... Ron. <laughs>
1: The favorite, rest, the favorite uh, 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 what do you call it, the favorite like meal. Like the best
2: item on the menu from the haunted restaurant, right? Yes,
1: and, and the, the history of the, the little haunted restaurant, so that's what it was.
2: You know, there's a book out that's called, um, for, uh, forgotten the name of it. It's called something like, it's a, it's a funeral practice and customs book, and it's also a recipe book.
1: There you go. How can you beat it's, that?
2: Here, I'll tell you the name. It's in my it's in my bibliography because I love that book. But it's the it's definitely that that combo there. So well, we get it gets shut
1: down because they <laughs> because said you
2: were ahead of your time.
1: Yeah, it said it. Well, you know, it just it it's either a, a ghost ghost book or it's a cookbook. What is it? So
2: <laughs> I I understand that argument, but sometimes things do want to be both yeah. things. So. Um, well, it is what this it is. one yeah. certainly, this one certainly did. Now I can't, I can't find the name of it, but I've, I've, I've used it as a reference before, okay. especially in my more recent book. And I, it's just, it's very unique because it, it actually includes. I don't know how well it's sold, but it's beautifully done, and, um, you know, it includes recipes. It, so it's basically funeral customs around the world and how people celebrate funeral rites and then traditional foods that are served or um, –
1: How well, can you beat that?
2: Right? Yeah. Well, anyway, I don't remember the name of it, but it's cool. So.
1: <laughs> and actually, that that's one of the, the – it kind of fits in because one of the – uh, strangest professions in the world, of course, is a soul eater.
2: Oh, yes. The soul and eater, the sin eater. Yep. Those are incredibly...
1: Special. Sin eater. That's it. Thank you.
2: Sin eater. Oh, yes. Um, that's the practice of putting... Well, essentially, you would lay the body out and you would put a bit of... Usually bread, a loaf of bread or a piece of bread on the body of the corpse. Sometimes people would put other things, but essentially you would put a kind of a, you know, small, small, small meal, just really just something that would absorb. And what the idea was that the um, sins of this person were absorbed into the bread. And then sometimes family members would actually eat that bread in an attempt to um, make sure that the deceased uh, passed on into the, the, you know, the next world. Sin free.
1: They actually that expanded because they actually prepared full meals and they were good meals, not just bits of things. They were good meals, and they were they would have these people and their job. And they usually the poor people of the town couldn't get a decent meal anywhere. And they would the people would go to the this house and the, the meal would be left outside, and they would eat the meal and eat the sins of the deceased.
2: Yes and actually people were were sometimes even employed by well-off families that they yes. would be able to come and like eat of this. And I think it's very interesting because there are other variations on that such as serving a meal not necessarily right on the corpse but like on the coffin. And having like a very elaborate sort of laid, someone's laid out in their coffin. And this was very common if you were like a, you know, an upstanding member of society. And then it was sort of expected that what you would do is provide food and drink and it would be passed over the coffin. And that was considered a sign of good luck, good health in this life and good passage to um, the deceased. So, of course, that all, you know, so many different cultures have different beliefs about how long... The soul hangs around, uh, um, but I mean, I would take which, a shot of whiskey off a coffin, and I know you would. <laughs>
1: uh-huh. And I mean, that and it all goes back to like even wh- why they cover the mirrors in, in houses after someone mm. dies, so mm, their soul. Yeah, mm-hmm. so it, it's it's intriguing. Every every one might be a little different, but they all have a roots and certain. Uh, uh, beginnings, I guess the, the word is. We'll never know the beginnings of something, but that's besides the point. Anyway. Yeah,
2: very interesting. Which is the Irish wake in general? Yes,
1: was, Irish wake. Yeah. There you go. I was going to bring that up before I went on the other tantrum.
2: <laughs> yeah, Irish wakes are, and and even um, now, I don't know. This is this is this is speculation on my part, mm-hmm. <laughs> but. There's a traditional form of like mourning in Ireland. It's called keening, and it's essentially where you're just sort of moaning and crying, and it's usually sort of sing-songy. Um, it happens. I've, it been,
1: been
2: <laughs> I've been to a few funerals, not not Irish funerals, but funerals where people of Irish descent or, or from Ireland, you know, here in the United States were attending and have heard variations of this, but the traditional idea would be that it would last a while. And sometimes again, people were actually employed to do this. It was a, it was part of the ritual. It wasn't like, Hey, you know, I mean, people have said the more people cry at your funeral, the greater person you were, but then that's not at all what the point was. The point was to let, um, sort of add this sort of ritualistic element to the passage And so I have always thought that 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 is what the Banshee cry must sound like and why it's so enticing, because it sounds like someone in in mourning. It sounds like someone sort of, I mean, people call it a scream, but I think it's more of a, you know, very mournful moan. And, And so I think there's a lot of connection between that keening and Banshees.
1: Yeah, uh, you know, of course the the banshees are. are I'll tell you my my son is traumatized to this day because when he was a young child, he saw uh, Dobby McGill and the little. Oh, Darby O'Gill
2: and the little people. Yep, yeah, that yeah. banshee
1: scared the ever loving bejesus out of him. So yeah,
2: yeah, understandably. Yes, actually, I I don't know if I would let my. I mean, I, my son. He's looked at and, and looked at most of my books. Um, But I don't know if I'd let him read the whole section on Banshees because it's really I I think it's pretty scary. I think Banshees are pretty, pretty scary. Banshees and Changelings, those are kind of go in the category of being the most most scary. (laughs) It's all
1: Irish stuff, right?
2: Yeah, I mean the the changelings. You know, there's variations in other cultures, but the yeah. idea of the changeling, that fairy switch, definitely has its origins in Ireland. That's what happened to me. You know, that's what they,
1: my mother kept. Yeah.
2: Me. Well, you have that ethereal quality that indicates that you are actually of another realm.
1: Certainly, (laughs) mentally, anyways, that's for sure. But sometimes
2: I think that about, like, specific celebrities or, like, especially singers or things like that, that you just, like, I mean, I wouldn't be entirely surprised if Bjork was a changeling, right? She's got that kind of really interesting um demeanor her um her the way she sings uh, the she's got incredibly powerful lungs and she's very quirky and mm. i think that you know those things all could point to the a sign that she'd be she was at one point switched with the fairies
1: uh, unless of course they were part of the alien lizard people that have infiltrated our planet and uh uh that are living among us, you know, like the Queen of England. and
2: Unless uh, those are actually all the same thing.
1: Yeah, they could be too, yeah. Could it' could
2: all be the same thing. All of these, uh, you know, all of these ideas of, uh, you know, whatever, alien abductions and such, really could just be fairies dragging you to the underworld. Yeah. The, what you're remembering is, hmm. you know, superimposed upon you.
1: Can we say fairies nowadays or is that politically incorrect as well?
2: Well, I say fairies because fairies is the is the name of the kingdom. It's like the kingdom of fungi, right? It's like the fairy yeah. kingdom. And there are all these wonderful, terrifying creatures that dwell within that realm. Um, pookas, changelings, little tricksters, all kinds of delightful things. Um, uh, mm-hmm. you know, so fun to fun to play around with, certainly.
1: <laughs> so, you want to hear one of your uh... Your Bizarre Tales?
2: Sure. (laughs) See if I remember it.
1: (laughs) Roy, can we play uh, the one I sent you? Uh, So I I enjoyed this one. So um, hopefully uh, he'll hear it. But this is one of the Beyond Bizarre Tales that you recorded uh, some years ago, I believe. Yeah, that's going back to
2: like 2010,
1: maybe? Ah, it could be. Yeah. So uh...
3: Soap on a Rope Mount Olympus, Washington is home to Lake Crescent A pristine mountain lake that is more than 600 feet deep in spots Native to the region, the Callum Indians would not fish the waters of this lake For fear of stirring up evil spirits that lurked beneath the glassy surface There is also a haunting tale of what locals call the Lady of the Lake. Hallie Illingworth's body was discovered by two fishermen in 1940. The young lady worked as a waitress at the nearby Crescent Lake Lodge and had gone missing some three years earlier. It turned out that her husband had killed her, wrapped her in blankets and tied stones to her body with heavy rope. He threw her weighted body into the lake, presumably never to be discovered again. Illingworth's body was remarkably well-preserved thanks to the cold waters of the lake, causing a process known as saponification, which causes the flesh to be rendered into something quite soap-like. She literally popped up to the surface of the lake like a bar of soap. Lake Crescent is also the site of numerous accounts of Bigfoot or Sasquatch sightings, as well as accounts of ghosts and ghostly sounds in the woods. You can hike this fantastically frightening stretch of the Pacific Northwest by taking the Scrooge Railroad Trail in the Olympic National Park. A Frightening Fact from Beyond Bazaar, available wherever books are sold.
1: Do you remember that one?
2: Oh, I do. I, I, yes, that's, that was a incredibly disturbing story when I first read about it that I that saponification thing is just it's so gross (laughs) and at first you think at first you I know soap on a rope (laughs) what was I uh, but at first you think it's going to be beautiful because it's the lady of the lake right so you think it's going to be this story about uh, a off-the-scene ghost or some sort of you know nymph or something in the water but it's about a woman who was um, brutally murdered and then um, popped back up after she had saponified. So, soap on a rope. Thank you for appreciating that I um, called it soap on a rope because not a lot of people would think that's funny.
1: <laughs> I found that rather amusing myself, but then again, <laughs> that's the way I roll. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, do you have a favorite one that you- Did you really like, I mean, one that really gets you going is like, oh, this is so cool. I can't believe it.
2: So there's a few there's a few things I always like the stories about sort of like the natural world um, replicating things like you know the, the the zombie ants that basically go and lay eggs in um, the zombie flies that go and lay eggs in the brains of the yeah and then they kind of turn on each other and eat each other and eat themselves alive and destroy their own uh, colony. So I always find those kind of things fascinating. And you see things like I'm constantly like, you know, my my newsfeed is full of like weird science and stuff like that, because that that can be very interesting. So I think that those stories always appeal to me. But the ones that actually really kind of have frightened me or made me really, really think um, or just sort of like consider consider the situation or whether or not, you know, it's a safe place to be or the story. I have a couple of stories. One is in paranormal parlor and then there's another one in the book of the bazaar. And they're both from friends of mine, kind of telling me about their um, tales. And these were both stories that they had told me prior to me writing the book. And I had asked them for permission to include them. And, you know, like it, you, you're also in paranormal parlor, um the one that really really always gets to me is the one about this strange um moaning sound that my friend heard on his property and um it not only was it so essentially it's a you know he's alone on this property they're they're they've bought this piece of land that's next to the land that he grew up on so it's a familiar setting right next to his grandmother's house And he uh, has, a there's like kind of a well house on the land and it's enough to keep yourself dry. It's not particularly warm or anything, but, you know, it's a little casa to stay in when you're working on the land. And they were planning on building this beautiful house, but they needed to clear a lot of brush and, you know, raw land. So he was there by himself one evening, kind of clearing brush and making a burn pile and he, um, I think, was staying the night there because he was going to get up again the next morning and, and um, you know, start over again and was kind of settling down from the night when he heard this sound. And the other part of the story is that I'm on the land in front of a bonfire while he's telling me this story. And guess where mm-hmm. I'm sleeping at night? I'm sleeping oh, no. in the casa, right? So I'm like, uh, do I really want to hear this? Yes, I want to know. So essentially he hears this noise. It sounds like sort of a really um, intense and very guttural moaning. And like most of us, you hear something, you see something very strange, you immediately try and rationalize it. So he's trying to figure out is it the sound of an animal carrying up the canyon. Um, and he's lived in this area, you know, most of his life. So sounds are familiar to him. So, what happens is the noise suddenly stops, and when it stopped, there was no echo. That really got him because if it was coming up a canyon, so he's kind of he's kind of at the top of this small mountain, if it's coming up a canyon and there's normally an echo, and then the sound is moaning and then it truncates, one wonders what's happening. Mm-hmm. Get worse. kind of kind of okay, that was a little weird. His hackles are up, but it's okay, it's a little weird. The noise starts again, and this time it's closer, and it starts coming closer up the canyon, same noise, and he can actually sort of feel that it's coming closer, stops again, truncated again, complete silence, no reverberation. Third time, it gets so close. Now at this point, he's in the casa with the door closed. It gets so close that things are actually rattling on on the. There's a little window there, and he had some stuff on the windowsill, and it's shaking from the um, reverberation of whatever this sound is. So so close around his house, and then it stops, and nothing. You know, nothing happened. Nothing came of it. Um, You know, he eventually like got brave enough to step out again. Um, uh, to this day, has not heard it, but has done some research about a couple different uh, legends in that area about a tall race of people who um, could have lived in the canyon below. His his the next day, he's out working again, and the neighbor comes up, and the neighbor had heard the sound, and the neighbor's sound ended with a splash in his pond. So we are not convinced that, I mean, we don't know what this was. There aren't a lot of Bigfoot sightings in that area, although there have been more than one, um, you know, there have been a couple over the years. But just a very, it's, you know, whatever, it's a little bit of a, huh, I don't know what that is. So it's got that appeal of sort of trying to solve that mystery Part of you wants to hear it when you're there, and the other part of you hopes you never hear it. So every time I visit, that's kind of like, is, it, is tonight going to be the night? You know, but also it's, you don't want it to be. Um, so, and we talk about it all the time. It's it's very, it's a, it's a regular topic with what was that mystery sound? So I think for me, those kind of stories where someone that i know, love, trust and actually think of as a very brave person when someone like that tells me a story and i can tell they're kind of freaked out by it that's that's always you know helps freak you out a little bit more which of course i like
1: <laughs> so they never solved it huh
2: mm not yet, but we have, you know, pretty, pretty regular conversation. I mean, we talk all the time and I bring it up once. I'm trying not to bring it up too much because I think, you know, it wasn't a pleasant experience for him, oh. but, you know.
1: You know, you're getting me all excited. we
2: we'll we'll <laughs> stay tuned. Something uh, could happen.
1: Yeah, well, you ever need a paranormal group to go in and listen to the crazy sound, Uh, I know one. (laughs) Yeah,
2: no kidding. All right, or just um, record, you know. Well, now they have a house there. So the Uh, little house is still there, but now they have this beautiful house that they've built. And and, uh, that I know of, uh, they haven't heard that noise again. But there's something else that I thought of recently, and I don't know if I should admit this. Yes. So let yeah, me so let me think. So all right. I may or may not have sent some coffin nails from New Orleans to him. <laughs> uh, actually from Christian Day's shop. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the things that these coffin nails are specifically good for is um uh property barrier. And At the time, he was trying to procure the next section of land down, and it was suggested that it might be a good idea to put these coffin nails along the property line where he would like his property line to go over. Um, Now, this occurrence was much later. It wasn't like the next day, this strange moaning, but maybe it's just my own, you know, Twisted ego, but there was this part of me that was like a little bit afraid that it might have been something that we released from the coffin nails. But you know, I I don't know if anybody else yeah. has ever had that experience messing around with coffin nails. Nah. You know. Nah. No, it's way more, more likely that it's, it's some like indigenous bigfoot-like creature.
1: Right, I, right. <laughs> or lizards from outer everything space.
2: And everything is possible.
1: Mm. So. Do you ever go to a wedding and they do that funky dance, the chicken dance?
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Well, in the fall of 1945 on a farm in Pruita, Colorado, I think it's spelled Pruita. Yeah, I guess so. Pruita, Colorado, Lloyd and Clara Olson were raising chickens. And they used to, you know, kill these chickens for uh, their dinner and so forth. So one day, uh, old Lloyd was out there and cut the head off a chicken. Now, the chicken, when you cut the head off, will dance around a little bit and everything else, and uh, usually a couple of minutes, and then they kick the bucket and go on to the happy coop in the sky. Well, old Floyd's chicken didn't stop dancing. It just kept going. And it lasted days and then months. Oh, we got to take a break. I guess we'll come back and find <laughs> out what happened to Lloyd's <laughs> chicken. you listen to Ghost Chronicles right here on Togenet and Paradox Radio. We'll be right back after the following messages. Do you have a paranormal event, book, or something else you want people to know about? Then why not advertise it on Ghost Chronicles Radio? With over 150,000 downloads a month, get your message out to an audience that's interested in the subject. We have a plan at a cost that fits your needs. For more information, contact Ron Kolick at at comcast.net or call 978-455-6678.
0: Hello, hello, can you hear me? My name is Harry Price. I am speaking to you via the meeting of the Ghost Box.
1: Back, you are listening to Ghost Chronicles Beyond Bazaar Edition. I am Ron Koick, New England Zone Van Helsinki, and with me is Vala Ventola.
3: Hello.
1: There you go. So uh, we want to thank our newest patron of the Ghost Chronicles radio show, and that would be Craig. I don't know if that's I'm saying it right. It's Q-R-A-I-G, so I'd say and Craig. If it isn't, correct me, Craig. Uh, Craig de Groot, and uh, also joining uh, Susan Brown and uh, Anna Isabel Rocha. So thank you very much for becoming a patron of the show. Anyways, just before the break, we were talking about Lloyd and Clara Olson, who cut their head off their chicken and the damn thing didn't die. So <laughs> they yeah. came up with this idea that uh you know what uh this is kind of pretty cool. Uh we got a chicken and he won't die. They they ended up feeding him with uh with like a dropper, an eyedropper syringe, and they would put food down his neck, and I'll get that to that in a second. But anyways, he came up with this great idea. He says, you know what? This is uh pretty interesting. You know, people might pay money to uh come and see it. So uh He did. He he gave nourishment to the poor chicken, which he named Mike, by the way, by uh, using an eyedropper and uh, a mixture of ground up grain and water and sent it down poor old Mike's esophagus and little bits of gravel as well to uh, keep it down and grind up the food. So anyways, uh, he did pretty good. He started uh, charging people to uh, come and uh, see him. And uh, at one time. Good old Mike, Mike the Headless Chicken, was drawing, figure this out, Marla, we're in the wrong business, $4,500 a month, which is equivalent to $50,000 today. Wow. To, wow. The, to see this headless chicken. Now, but, now now, can, you we, know, can we get something like that? You know?
2: Do you know how he died, the poor chicken?
1: Are you going to tell
0: me?
2: because I, I found a little little more info about him here
1: yes Go yes ahead.
2: so another another uh, part of the story is that the farmer drove the bird 250 miles to the university of utah in salt lake city where scientists determined that Olson's axe blow had missed the rooster's jugular vein and a subsequent blood clot had kept the bird from bleeding to death the brain stem, which controlled isn't it? lucky bird. The yeah. brainstem, which uh, controlled most of the bird's reflexive functions, remained attached to the body. Oblivious to the fact that most of his head was missing, the rooster continued trying to peck for food, preening its feathers and sleeping with the top of its neck under its wing. Aww. okay, so they go on, they make all that money, the national tour. Yep. Um, they're written up in articles. Unfortunately, Mike's miraculous life came to an abrupt end in an Arizona hotel. Oh no! The rooster choked, <laughs> and Olson was unable to find an eyedropper to clear his feathered friend's throat. Now I don't know if how because of course this was written a number of years ago, so I'm not sure if they're still doing this. But it, this is today. Mike still has his own fan club, and his dauntless spirit is celebrated annually. In Frutia, on the, and that's Frutia, Colorado.
1: Yep, this is um, true.
2: On the third weekend in May, Mike's Festival includes a chicken recipe contest, a chicken dance contest, and a 5K run like a headless chicken.
1: There you go. Appropriately, you the that?
2: event's website states attending this fun family event is a no brainer. Oh!
1: <laughs> I mean, that is oh, so good, dear. I mean, Oh, Think of dear. all the, all the good that came out from that headless chicken.
2: Well, yeah, that was just who knew what a the lucky town surprise. made
1: money on it. Old uh, Lloyd made money on it, and yeah, his wife made Everyone money was on happy.
2: It. The hotel made money on it.
1: <laughs> Everybody did. People were happy to see old headless Mike. And uh, so we get we got to come up with something. I don't know what we could go. A headless politician maybe. Don't we have one of those? Oh, already? that's true. We pretty much do. Brain dead, anyways. That's oh, for sure. Oh, uh, but yeah, anyway, we need a
2: gimmick. Yeah, other than the gimmick, it. we are already milking. We need. We need a new gimmick.
1: Yes, we got to come up with something that'll. <laughs> we, we could yeah. be like
2: the Fox Sisters.
1: We could no. really,
2: you know, we could go somewhere with this. We could, we could put something on here. We, but no. we need it. I do think we need something headless.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Headless. headless. Oh.
1: What about just a head?
2: Ooh, or just a talking head? Yeah. We go. Ooh, we could carry it around and put it in a basket. Yeah. Pass it around the audience. Well, and we, we would put, put money in, cabinet, in the mouth.
1: We, we'd give it a nice <laughs> basket, right? Yeah, it'd a be a
2: beautiful cabinet. basket.
1: I'll build a nice cabinet for you know, nice and cushy, yeah. and you know, want the head to be happy.
2: Yeah, and and what what will we call him?
1: Harry, the headless head. No, the head, Harry, the, Harry, ha- the, Harry, the bodyless Harry head, heady, Harry <laughs> It could be a female. Head, Why do it have to be a male, headwig. right? <laughs> Helen, head, Hedwig. Head, <laughs> what'd you got? Hedwig. It's Hedwig. That's Hedwig. not bad. I like Hedwig. <laughs> yeah. Come up with it. Anyways. So we thought I'd play another one of these, uh, of your fabulous, uh, Bizarre Tales, and uh, Roy, our producer, picked out one that he thought was apropos, so uh, Roy, if you're listening, can you play that for us now, please?
3: The Presidential Death Cycle Between 1840 and 1960, every U.S. president elected in a year ending in zero either died in office of natural causes or was assassinated. By contrast, since 1840, of the 29 presidents who were not elected in years ending with a zero, only one has died in office, and not one has been assassinated. The first president to die in office was William Henry Harrison, elected in 1840. Other victims were Abraham Lincoln, elected in 1860 and fatally shot in 1865. James Garfield, elected in 1880 and assassinated in 1881. William McKinley, re-elected in 1900 and fatally shot in 1901. Franklin Roosevelt, elected for the third time in 1940 and died in 1945. And John F. Kennedy, elected in 1960 and assassinated in 1963. Ronald Reagan, elected in 1980, was nearly the eighth victim. He was shot and badly wounded by John Hinckley in 1983. Astrologers insist that Reagan was exempted from the curse because 1980 included an astrological aberration. Jupiter and Saturn met in an air sign of Libra. They say whether or not the curse is actually over remains to be seen. The next potential victim will be the president elected in 2020. A freaky fact from Barlow Ventura's The Book of the Bazaar.
1: Holy moly! Holy,
2: wow, I didn't even think about that. Are you a soothsayer? uh, Now, just saying, I mean, that's from... I think that's from the Book of the Bazaar, right? So that's from the first one. Now, I wrote that in 2007, published in 2008. So, you know, just saying. Mm -hmm. Didn't know know then what we know now.
1: Isn't that interesting?
2: (laughs) I can't believe it ended like that. That's funny. Yep.
1: Well, good job, Roy. You picked out a good one. Yeah,
2: nice job, Roy. Good thought. So
1: you have another one about... uh... Uh, I found
2: a couple more presidential kind of um, weirdnesses. Oh. Um, one one that is probably quite familiar to people um, because it's the story of Abraham Lincoln and uh, what happened after his funeral. I think quite a few people have probably heard this story, but I'll read it anyway.
1: Is the ghost train? Um,
2: this is the number of times that he was, like, exhumed and moved around.
1: Oh, okay. No, this is better then. Go
2: ahead. Although I did... Um, I did actually, a couple years ago, I was in Duluth, Minnesota, and they had, I think it was in Duluth, they had um, his funeral car. Oh, so um, cool. And actually, there was, now I, I'm completely forgetting the story. Was it the actual funeral car, or was it a replica of the funeral car? I think it was the actual funeral car, and it had been, like, basically rotting in a field, And someone finally realized what it was and they restored it. So it's the original car, but, you know, the interior is all obviously Mm -hmm. uh, new. But anyway, back to Abe Lincoln after the funeral. On May 4th, 1865, Abraham Lincoln's body was laid to rest in a temporary vault in Oak Ridge Cemetery in Springfield, Illinois, while a permanent mausoleum was under construction. The body was moved three more times, then placed in its permanent resting place within a newly constructed granite tomb on October 15th, 1874. Built in 1876, a ring of counterfeiters made two attempts to snatch, oh, sorry, but in 1876, a ring of counterfeiters made two attempts to snatch Lincoln's body and hold it for ransom until an accomplice was freed from prison. The second attempt was nearly successful. It was foiled just as the conspirators were prying open the sarcophagus. Between 1876 and 1901, Lincoln's body was moved 14 more times. Sometimes for security reasons, other times to repair the granite tomb and its dilapidated crypt. In 1901, Abe was laid to rest a final time. As his son Robert supervised, Lincoln's coffin was encased in steel bars and buried under tons of cement. The body hasn't been moved since, as far as anyone can tell.
1: Hmm. That's cool.
2: Yeah, I I mean, I didn't know that until I, you know, before I, I wrote this. I had so, no I knew it had been moved, but I had no idea it had been moved that many times.
1: Yeah.
0: Crazy, right?
1: So, yeah. So speaking about moving Lincoln's body, and this is from Ghost of Day. Ooh, uh, April 29th, eighteen sixty five, the Lincoln special, which we were just talking about. Abraham Lincoln has long been Hinkle? Wow. Well, Abraham Lincoln, is. this is why I don't read, has long been associated with the paranormal. It is a well-known fact that he attended seances and foreseen his own death, and his ghost has been witnessed in several occasions, including the White House. After his death on April 15, 1865, it was decided to transfer the president's body to its final resting place in Springfield, Illinois. Not really, because it's been moved a bunch of times. Uh, a powerful steam locomotive the Lincoln Special was designated for the journey. On board was both Lincoln's body and the coffin of his son, Willie, which they dug up to.
2: Oh, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah.
1: Mm. So, anyway. Oh. As well as 300 mourners uh, and honor guard, and to keep the body fresh, since Lincoln was uh, not embalmed, a mortician. That's a good thing, right?
2: Yeah. I guess so. <laughs> <laughs>
1: What that, you know, I have fresh dead smell. <laughs> Forget it. Uh, train, the train departed. <laughs> they
2: didn't have Febreze back then.
1: No, yeah. I guess they didn't, but it's a good could, idea. Uh,
2: <laughs> they could smell the train a-coming.
1: They put that in everything now, too. So, <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> what if you, wait a minute, maybe uh, if you drink Febreze, you, if you break wind, it'd smell better. Uh, I'm just saying, they put it in everything.
2: Willing to, you
1: know. Who's going to try it, not me?
2: (laughs) I know, I feel like my dog should try it, but...
1: Uh, There you go.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, do that to her.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The train departed from Washington, chugging along the East Coast, finally arriving in Springfield in May uh, 4th, 19 days after his death. Wow. He must have been ripe. Uh, Through the years, there might have been (laughs) eyewitness accounts of the spectral, spectral, it means ghost, uh, Lincoln Special, From these reports, it appears uh, to be taking the same route it did back in 1865. People near the tracks have heard uh, old-fashioned steam whistle and seen dense gray clouds of billowing smoke, uh, which were followed by a change in the atmosphere. Mm. Nearby, crossing gates would close as if the train was passing, but none was there. And for those fortunate enough to spy the train— Ooh, that would be cool. It is uh, a scene they will never forget. A blue light emanates from the engine, which is followed by a flat car with a band of skeleton musicians in Union uniforms playing music that no one can hear. The next car contains the Lincoln's black draped coffin and an honor guard of skeletons in both Union and Confederate uniforms. As the train oh. passes, there is a wash. Of warm air. That's a rush. And no matter how cold it is in the night, uh, eyewitness accounts have slowly diminished through the years, making one believe that Lincoln's phantom funeral train may have been slowly fading away. So there you go. I That's love
2: right. that. I love that imagery of the skeleton. Yeah, soldier, Can you imagine that? Like the Jason and the Argonaut scene, you know, from the. Yeah. <laughs> they're both can you imagine him
1: playing? <laughs> the, the playing in the band?
2: So what I love also you know so great is that that is the, the 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 that story is ends in Springfield right or at least the beginning of it and then yep. then the story that I read picks up the same day but I also just read something else and that is that actually Lincoln was embalmed but of course we know that they did not have the methods that they had today and so I actually read this thing about facts about his body and um, I think they say that he was actually re-embalmed at every stop because he was laid out for public viewings so I don't know what that means re-embalmed especially in what 18 what 65. was it 1865 yeah. so what could re-embalmed have actually meant then you know just well
1: they put of a mortician board. Like, maybe they you know yeah. filled them up with new liquid or whatever
2: yeah and they just kind of cut whatever to drain the the yeah keep them heavily fresh what a job Uh, yeah crazy
1: somebody has to do it
2: yeah that's right you know i mean lincoln people wanted to wanted to see him it's such an interesting um the whole laying in state thing yeah yeah definitely anyway anyway throw me on a pyre and burn me
1: That's that's what I said. when I'm when I'm gonna when I know I'm going I'm gonna go on a boat and go out to sea just by myself.
2: Ah, I like that too. That's very piratey. Yeah. Uh, Well, I have another presidential one. I have one. It's about poisoning, so that's fun.
3: Mm
2: -hmm. Uh, (laughs) I mean, it's basically October now, right? People can handle it. Sure. So this is presidential poisoning. Did Florence Harding kill her husband, U.S. President Warren G. Harding, while he was still in office?
1: Uh, Rumors were fixed. Like the wrath of a woman.
2: <laughs> it, I, mean, I mean, we're just going to assume she was right. It all started with allegations. I probably could be arrested for saying that, right? Because he was president or something. Who cares? It all started with <laughs> it all started with allegations of an affair. Oh well, there we go. Uh, enough said. Do I need to read any more? You know, she po- he had an affair. She poisoned him. Okay. When he was president, there were stories that Harding had fathered a child with a much younger woman. Mrs. Harding got the FBI on the case to put the rumor to rest. Agents discovered it was true, which peeved Florence to no end. She then inquired of the FBI, inquired of the FBI about killing someone by putting an undetectable white powder in their food. What's that powder? She asked. They refused to tell her. Soon after, the president got sick with what was believed to be food poisoning. No one else got sick, although they all ate the same thing. And then he died. Mrs. Harding refused to allow an autopsy, and the death was officially regarded as a stroke. So,
1: you know, there was one president. Yep. You know there was one president I can't recall his name, uh, but uh, he used to have sex with his secretary in the closet, and the Clinton. Secret Service would <laughs> would the Secret Service would wait outside to keep his wife from coming into the office.
2: Oh man! Now that's a that is a blatant abuse of taxpayer dollars right there. The Secret right. Service they could have been yeah. doing something else.
1: Uh, Oh, my, my. I'll keep him out of trouble anyways. So, anyway. So, you know our poor chicken? Remember our poor chicken who got his head cut off? Yes. Right. So you might say to yourself, or you might say, Ron, or Van Helsink, have there ever been any ghost chickens? Oh, Ron, have there ever been any ghost chickens? Well, I'm so glad you asked. So (laughs) let's go to April 6th. Sixteen twenty-six, in Highgate, London. Ooh! Okay. According to the BBC, Sir Francis Bacon was responsible. F- mm, bacon <laughs> responsible for the world's first frozen chicken. Did you know that? I didn't. Mm. On a particular frigid day in April, Bacon uh, and his friend Doctor Weatherbone, a physician to James. Uh, the first, I was saying James I, who's James I, then I realized it was James <laughs> <the> I, <first. laughs> made a life-altering discovery. While enjoying a carriage ride through Pond Square and Highgate, the men were discussing the possible uses of snow uh, to preserve food. That makes sense. As the snow uh, struck the, uh, stuck to the uh, wheels of the wagon, Bacon pointed out that, to Weatherbone, that the grass beneath looked new and fresh. So, in other words, when the wagon wheels went over the uh, ground, it, it exposed the grass beneath it, beneath the snow. And it looked fresh, like Lincoln, uh, <laughs> along the way. <laughs> Weatherbone, not sharing uh, his friend's vision, scoffed them. Scoff, 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 scoff. Sir Francis, angered by the doctor's disbelief, ordered the carriage halted. Running into a home at the bottom of Highgate, he purchased a hen. He killed and cleaned the bird and removed its feathers, uh, stuffed it in the cavity with snow, and placed the uh, carcass in a bag and covered it with more snow. Unfortunately for Bacon, the bird would have its revenge. A few days later, as a result of his freezing the chicken, Bacon contracted acute pneumonia and died. In April Ew. 1626. <laughs> uh, not long after, not long after, the ghost of a chicken began to appear. Many, mm-hmm. uh, many frequenting, frequenting, pond square would hear the screeching and clacking of a chicken, yet none was in sight. At first, the locals thought everyone uh, had seen imaginary things. Um, but they blame, They even blamed it on an emotional reaction to uh, Bacon's death, uh, for Sir Francis' death. Excuse me, I called them by last name. That's not proper. Uh, but the sightings continued. Uh, featherless fowl has been seen <laughs> on several occasions, shivering and running up, running in circles before vanishing to a brick wall. Over the years, there have been countless sightings, and in December 1943. A British airman passing through town one night heard the sound of a carriage, followed by a loud screech. When he looked up, although he saw no carriage, there before him was the bird, shivering and running around in circles. As he approached it, it disappeared before his eyes. Mm -hmm. It's these types of hauntings that beg for answers. Oh, yeah. For instance, do chickens have souls? Yes.
2: Oh, I think Mike proved that chickens have souls.
1: Yeah. Uh, and if they do, then this poultry geist added a whole new dimension to it. Wow. So
2: fooled. You should definitely copyright that. And that is
1: the <laughs> today. God bless oh. us. So anyway, that's what I have on that. So I didn't want to go into it. So. Got anything interesting Ghost. more you want to talk about that's off Ghost your top of the head? Chickens.
2: Uh, well, um, let's see. Yeah, we're kind of coming to, um, as the Car Talk brothers always said, you've squandered another perfectly good hour. <laughs> yes, <we did. laughs> Um, I actually, I do have one kind of cool new project that's about to launch. It's not a book, which is interesting. Um, I am about to launch a shop on my website in which I am creating products that are, um, heavily steeped in paranormal puns, as well as things that have, you know, um, sure you remember like the, the, uh, paranormal parlor, fairies, pookas, and changelings, Banshees, Werewolves, and Vampires, and Among the Mermaids. Um, mm. Three out of four of those were all designed, the cover was designed by the same, um, the same art director. And I love, love, love the covers. And I've always wanted them to make a, po- make a poster or something for my office. And so now we're putting it on mugs and some of the, some of the artwork will be on mm. things. Um, my wonderful, very talented nephew made me a Varla Ventura logo which is super cool. So that'll be on mugs. And then I'm, you know, I'm experimenting with some things. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's my, my, um, one, I I have several sisters. It's my brother-in-law, one of my sister's husbands is helping me organize the whole thing. He's been really awesome. And we've been having a lot of fun. And he said, you know, you can put anything on anything, and I, and he said, "There's even underwear on there." So naturally, <laughs> so here's my now I haven't figured it out yet, but I want to do a fear of little men on underwear.
1: Oh, God bless you.
2: <laughs> you know, like the poem, right? You know, up up the dairy mountain and round the fairy glen, we dare not go hunting for a fear of little men. Something like that.
1: Uh oh. God, that's the bell. <laughs> Oh, so, so is that up yet or is that going to be up?
2: Um, it will be up in, within the next few days. Uh, we've got a link for it on the website, but I'm not sure if we've actually completed the cart section of it. So you can go in there and you can look and see what's on there. But we're still kind of working on um, just making sure that we've got everything dialed in with um, the checkout process so it's secure yeah. and um, you know people get their stuff. Uh, But, yeah, we're going to do mermaid water bottles and all kinds of fun stuff like that. So, yeah, yeah, so that should be up. So if you just visit the site. um, the Yeah, if you send
1: me a link, I'll put it up on the pages so that uh, people can go and peruse it.
2: Absolutely. Thank you so much. I will.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure. And thank you for joining me tonight. It's been awesome.
2: Delightful. Thank you, Ron. Always nice to talk
1: to you. I love talking weird stuff and nobody is... Never mind. <laughs> Moving along.
2: Uh, no, but I, I love that our, our our books are complimentary, and I love your your books very much. So it's nice to swap stories like that. We've got a lot more to go.
1: Oh, we do. Course. I mean, we we could spend hours doing this. <laughs> you know that, don't you?
2: I do. I I would like to do that sometime. So uh-huh. anyway. Okay. Love dear. Thank you so much. Happy almost October. Don't run
1: off yet. Don't run off yet. We haven't killed the show yet. We still got one minute. So, anyways, today's show was brought to you by Circles of Wisdom, 386 Merrimack Street in Methuen, Massachusetts, and the Glant Messier Family Law Group, uh, 15 High Street in North Andover, Massachusetts. So, if you've been isolated with some guy because of this virus thing and he's really getting on your nerves, now's the time to get rid of him. Go see him. They'll fix you right up. So there you go. Violet, thanks a lot. And uh, we want to thank uh, our patrons, uh, Craig Grout and um, Susan Brown and Anna Isabella Roach. So good night, everyone. God bless and see you next week.